0: Oh, good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. You're all here. This is great. I need to uh, bring you up to date to what happened last night. We did our comedy fundraiser for a family uh, from Pakistan whose literally their lives are in danger. And uh, uh, we have this group that uh, heads it, a committee, a pa- Pakistani Re- refugee committee, and, and they put together Probably one of the most finest presentations. I don't know if you were there last night. But you walked in, there were these free muffins, gourmet muffins. Help yourself to coffee, to tea, you sit down. They had a, uh, a deaf troupe, which was the opening act, called 100 Decibels. And then, of course, the feature for Matt Falk, who is from Neverville himself. But uh, just a phenomenal night. Uh, lots of people not from our community, they were there. Uh, close to 300 people, roughly, is my estimation. We raised last night. $15,000 isn't that amazing so I asked our people I said do me a quick calculation I'm going to share this with our folks so that they know we're about four grand short of having our total of $40,000 to bring this family in so I said look let's get the green light going and let's let the government know we're ready so now we have to wait on the government so let's pray that these guys can get their act together and make it happen so this is it this is it. We began our walk through the book of Matthew on November 27, 2016. Today we finished the last five verses, and it's called the Great Commission. This is the church's call to arms, and uh, I had to say, why is this so hard for some believers, for some of us as believers, to actually fulfill the Great Commission? Because basically we try to live our lives out in the great omission. We don't want to be a part of this. And, and the fact is, when you take a look at our culture, sometimes we give evangelism a bad, ra- uh, a bad rap in our culture. And I think it's because of three very simple reasons. Number one, as Canadians, we're temperamentally reserved. We, uh, we, we're not overly demonstrative in showing our emotions or verbose in expressing our feelings about sensitive matters, right? You know, unless, of course, we're online, well, then we can let people have it. But in person... We don't like to talk openly about money or sex. Why should we be any different in talking about our relationship with God? You know, this is personal stuff. It's a private matter. My religion is, is for me. And to air that publicly would seem just a little bit uncouth. Secondly, as Canadians, we're socially restrained. We don't like to impose ourselves on others. And we don't like it when others impose themselves on us. You know, we try to be gracious in inviting people, let's say, to come to church, but we don't want to be pushy about it. And finally, there are those who, even if they don't believe it, they live as if they are theologically grounded in the doctrine of what is called election. And that means there are those who actually believe that it's not we who have a part in bringing people to God, but it's rather God alone. And if the Spirit of God stirs in the heart of an individual quickens their spirit then so be it but if not then who am I to interfere in this and so they they come to the conclusion that there's just no need to evangelize we leave it up to God so we're temperamentally reserved we're socially restrained and we act as if we're theologically grounded in the doctrine of election and it's no wonder that we call ourselves the frozen chosen and has nothing to do with weather and we might be actually content to live with that when you think about it. That there's no escaping the fact, though, that Jesus had some very famous last words for us. And uh, what, I wonder at times, what is it about last words that fascinate us? And that was my Google hit this week. I was just going famous people's last words. And you can spend tons of time going through this. Because it makes us sit up and listen. And I think we're naturally interested in somebody's last words because we believe that a person's last words are typically words that give us a glimpse right down to the center of somebody's heart. Bob Marley, musician. He's quoted as saying when he died that money can't buy life. Karl Marx said last words are for fools who haven't said enough. Leonardo da Vinci was quoted, and he said this, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality that it should have. Humphrey Borgert said, I should never have switched from scotch to martinis. Steve Jobs' sister, Mona, records Steve's last words as, Oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. The Beatles, George Harrison, said, Love one another. Elvis Presley Said to his fiancee, the night that he died, I'm going to the bathroom to read. She replied, don't fall asleep in there. His last words, okay, I won't. If you're into R&B, Johnny Ace, he died in 1954. What happened is he was playing with a pistol during a break in his concert. His last words were, I'll show you that it doesn't shoot. My friend, Buddy Rich, drummer, he died in surgery after 1987. As he was being prepped for surgery, the nurse asked him, is there anything you can't take? And his reply was, yeah, country music. I love him. Todd Beamer, passenger on United Flight uh, 93, September 11, 2001. His last words are recorded at the end of a cell phone call that he and other passengers tried to storm the cockpit to retake the, the plane from the hijackers. His last words, are you ready, guys? Let's roll. The plane crashed near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. So if you think about it, you have one hour left on earth. What would you want to say to the people around you? What words would you have for your friends? What words would you have for your spouse, your children, your siblings, your coworkers, your neighbors? What would your last words be? Would you open up your heart? Would you say those things that you've always wanted to say? Or, we, or the things that you know you should have said? You know, wouldn't you want to leave your family and your friends with uh, the unvarnished, unobstructed, undeniable truth about what's the most important thing for you? Your hopes, your desires, your prayers, your plans, your blessings for each and every one of them. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 28 and imagine the scene that he's, he's painting here for us. It's only a matter of days after Jesus, the man who had been their teacher, their master, their friend, he'd been there for three years. He's arrested, he's beaten, executed on a cross, laid to death, and now he's alive. He's standing before them. He shares now some final instructions. And I think what we've got to do is take a look and see how these words reveal a very clear emphasis on the continuation of his mission. Jesus doesn't say, hey, listen, you guys are great. Thanks for the memories. Hey, we'll see you on the other side. No, the last words of Jesus in the book of Matthew are a charge. It's a commission. It's a set of marching orders to carry out, to carry on the most important task in the universe. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. We'll begin at page uh, verse 16. It says the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. That number eleven should stand out like a sore thumb for us. It's a reminder of Judas' betrayal. Remember? He's gone. He's off the scene. And so we see that the eleven disciples here are simply not functioning as individuals. They're leaders of Jesus' people. They represent Jesus' people, they represent the church. They represent you and me. And so the mission now is entrusted to the church. Judas is gone. They're no longer the 12. They're no longer the, this perfect number. They, they're left with a limp, so to speak. And the 11, what do they do? They go back to Galilee. They go back to their old stomping grounds. And according to Matthew, they assemble well, on the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now again, we're not sure which mountain this was to designate um, this meeting. However, every time uh, we're told about a mountain uh, in Scripture, it's often used to designate a meeting with God. So Moses received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Jesus delivers the Beatitudes on the Sermon of the Mount. He speaks to the woman at the well about which mountain to worship God on. And this was a meeting uh, with Jesus on the top of a mountain, not behind closed doors, but in the open, that everybody can see, and so it's so important. There's a connection that's happening here. Now, when they saw him, it says they worshipped him, but some doubted. So the interesting contrast takes place here. Some worshipped, and some doubted. Some translations go on and say they hesitated. You know, Even though he had been crucified and risen from the dead, there was still a hesitation or a doubt If you do your research, you see that the the eleven had already seen Jesus at at least once after his resurrection. But notice that Jesus doesn't reject those who doubt. They're there. They made the journey. He doesn't reject them. He doesn't scold them. And I think Matthew puts that in there because it's something that we can all identify with. There are varying degrees of faith represented in absolutely every community. And there are those of you here today, your faith is seasoned, it's mature. And yet there are those of us who are still unsure of God's faithfulness and His love. And to be honest, there's a mixture, when you think about it, of faith and doubt within each and every one of us. One of my favorite passages is where a father brings his child to Jesus to be healed. And before Jesus heals the boy, He says to the Father, If you can believe, all things are possible to Him who believes. And the Father cried, I believe, but help my unbelief. What we see, people, is that doubt and faith actually go hand in hand. The fact that you can't prove the existence of God makes trusting in God all the more remarkable. I love the fact that Matthew leaves this in here, that that some doubted, that some hesitated. The resurrection didn't transform uh, all these hesitating, fearful disciples into immediate spiritual giants. That did not happen. Sometimes our worship is mixed with fear and doubt when you think about it. It's, but His nearness, His presence is what ultimately is what we need more than anything else. I would hope that when you read this, that it becomes something that encourages you, that it's the presence of Christ that fuels us even if we're running on empty. We also notice that Jesus accepted the worship that they offered towards Him. He accepted the worship in many Scriptures, in Matthew, and in John, and Hebrews. Jesus receives the worship. He doesn't rebuke them. If we remember back in Matthew 4, verse 10, uh, He said that you're to worship God and serve Him only, and yet Jesus receives this worship. What is He saying? They believed, they doubted, and to both their faith and to their lack of faith, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And this is actually one of the most crucial statements that Jesus has ever made. Jesus immediately fills them with courage. It's an encouraging word. It's almost like Him moving close and saying to them, and saying, stop being consumed with all your fear, or with all your doubt, with all your hesitation. Look away from your your inability and your adequacy. Look towards my ability, my adequacy, my word now. When you look at this passage, you'll notice that the word all appears four times. Jesus possesses all authority. He sends us into all the nations. We're to teach people all that He has commanded, and that... Jesus will be with us all the days or always. There's a sense that that this is all-inclusive. This is what Christianity is all about. This whole thing, this whole nine yards regarding everything about life. All. And now he tells them to make Him known. And that's the Christian life. Knowing Jesus and, and making Him known to others. And how are they to make Him known? Because all authority, which means official right or power, had been given to Jesus by the Father, the disciples now can go boldly and confidently and fulfill His command. Jesus says, basically, look at, I'm in control, I'm in charge. This, This commission I'm about to give you is not just something to do before I return to pass the time. It's not like saying, hey, goodbye, good luck, see you soon, hope you do well. As a matter of fact, what he's saying is, look at people, I'm sending you under the power and under my watch. I'm aware, I'm concerned with every soul that you will encounter. I am with you to use your words, <coughs> sorry, from your mouth to make yourself known to those who don't know me. I'm control of everything, and so trust me as you carry out this great commission. One theologian said, since Jesus Christ today has all authority, we may obey Him without fear. No matter where He leads, no matter what circumstances we face, He's in control. By His death and resurrection, Jesus defeated all enemies and won for Himself all authority. He continues with the the commission. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The command to go is clear. It's completely obvious. This is not the only place in the New Testament, though, that Jesus tells his disciples to go. He repeats the command several times. This command was given uh, considerable emphasis when you think about it through the entire Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This command is given to the disciples at this point, but it also applies to you and me as well if we identify as believers. When we read that word nations, you and I always think about political boundaries. But that's not what Jesus means when he talks about nations. He means ethnic groups, people groups, language groups, racial groups of the world. He means that his church is to be a church going out to all people. That you and I are called by Jesus to make the disciples of all people. To go out into the world to teach and to live the truth the cro- of the cross of redemption. The gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus is inclusive. It's for everyone. However, we have to be proactive. We have to go. We have to take the initiative. We have to go. We have to make the first move, that first step. We go. We're to make disciples. Now, what's a disciple? A disciple is one who's disciplined. Who stands, basically, who who conforms to the standards and the expectations of their teacher. And so we're to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We are to be disciplined by His teachings. As as disciples of Jesus, we we take what He says to us. We we become this goal of being more like Jesus. And notice it doesn't say go and make converts or converts or go and get people to accept Christ. Jesus is not telling us to be missionaries per se. He's really saying, look at this needs to be your lifestyle. And the point is that we are believers. And as believers, we are to be active. Then we're not to be inert and sedimentary. The point is that as believers, we move forward. Going means crossing boundaries to make disciples. Going across the street. Going to dinner or lunch with an unbelieving friend or family member. Going into the inner city. Going beyond one's comfort zone to make the gospel accessible to those who need to hear the life-giving message of Jesus. And living life is going with a purpose. Do we have a purpose every day? That word disciple means above all, being a learner, being a pupil. So the idea here is to make learners. A disciple is simply not one who's been taught, but one who continues to learn. Are you in that process? Because I think I need to be clear here. I don't think you can say you are a Christian and not be a disciple. Because as soon as you become a Christian, you are his disciple. But that's not the end. You need to continue to be a learner. You need to continue to grow as his disciple. And Jesus now says, Make disciples of all nations. And that means that all of us are invited to follow, no matter who you are, where you're from, or what you once believed or what you've done. You're all invited to be in this process once we make a decision for Christ. And we can make disciples and then we're to baptize, just like we witnessed today. First gathering, this place was packed, it was fabulous there's always an energy for baptism and they got this from Niverville this little baptistry and there was no heat so there was really a death to self for all the baptismal candidates I have to say that uh, I had to I just laughed I laughed so hard but it, it, it's interesting right like you know where to baptize people Uh, And and baptism was just common practice back then. A a disciple is a man, a woman, a boy or girl who publicly confirms that they have turned from sin and self and they embrace Jesus as Lord and they walk by His grace. So baptism becomes this demonstration, this outward demonstration of our inward change. It's a public declaration to the community of faith that you would like to follow Jesus and be his disciple. And so baptism is not what one does to be saved, but rather it's what a saved person does. It's simply this outward expression of our inward faith. And then teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. I think this is really interesting because you notice that Jesus says, he doesn't tell us to teach our own ideas. But what Jesus has commanded is to what we're supposed to teach. And so the goal is not simply to teach information, but the goal is that we're to teach transformation and application. He doesn't want just the disciples to know more things. He wants them to grow in their obedience. That we teach them to obey. God's love language is obedience. Just obey. We've got to teach them to observe. The goal was to multiply, to reproduce a reproducing follower of Christ. And the, the nature of discipleship is not automatic conformity to your teacher. I'm just going to be like my teacher. It's about learning, right? It's, it, it is about learning. And therefore, the work of making disciples, it's about teaching these baptized followers of Jesus what it means to follow Him according to the instructions that Jesus Himself has given to us. And the commands of Christ point us to the importance, to the authority of everything in the Old and New Testament. So if baptism points us to a moment of conversion, to that point in time when we decided to go from a follower of the world to a follower of Jesus, then the work of teaching reminds us that making disciples, that discipleship is this process. Making disciples is about finding faith. It's about following in our faith. It's about birth. It's about growth. It's about opening a door. It's about walking a path. Disciples are made. They're not born somebody has to give us the training to be disciples and the best way to make disciples perhaps the only lasting way is to be disciplined yourself you know and then at that point in time you begin to share those disciplines with others around you because you, you can only really teach what you know what you believe what you practice and let me say well a lot of people, I, well, I just, well, no, you teach what you know, what you have, where you're at. No, you, nobody has all the answers. I don't have all the answers. You teach what you have. You start by strengthening your own spiritual disciplines. And you begin to share it with others. You sit down and you, with people and you take time to explain to others what we believe, why we do, what we do, why. Like all this. Tell them such things as why do we gather together on a Sunday to worship, to listen, listen to the Scriptures, expounded on. Why do you study the scriptures to find meaning and direction for your lives? Why do you uh, try to be a blessing to others and not because, you know, we have, uh, we have to, but rather because we're so grateful in many ways that God has already blessed us. You got to tell them why you pray and thank God for his mercies and ask him to be with those in need. Why do we do that? How do we do that? And when you find yourself in trouble, you got to explain to people why do you look to God for strength, for comfort, for peace? You know, why do we, in times of uncertainty, you know, we go to God? Why are we not afraid when you know that God is with you? Why are we not alone when He knows He's with us with every step? Why is His grace sufficient for every need? You share why you believe that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purposes. You share why you believe that nothing would ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's so much that you already know as believers that you just take that little bit of knowledge and you continue to share, you begin you to talk, and you begin you to go and take it all. If you remember way back in November 27, 2016, Matthew began his Gospel with Jesus' birth calling him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And you have to remember, it's God with us, not God against us. He later mentions in Matthew that he's in the midst, even when there's only two or three disciples gathered in his name. One theologian says, Now as he repeats the promise of his presence, he attached it rather to their witness than to their worship. It's not only when we meet in His name, but when we go in His name that He promises to be with us. Isn't that great? When we, It's not just about coming together and being in a place like this. It's about when we leave and go out through these doors. And so here, Matthew closes this gospel. He closes this good news. And he makes sure to end with Jesus' promise. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. It's interesting that the English adverb always, the whole of every day, it's not just the horizon and the view, but I'll be with you. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, he, Jesus is not really saying I'm going to be with you when the church is growing and thriving and when people are getting saved, left, right, and center, you know, when your ministries are great and, and everything is perfect. No, he's with us in our successes, but he's also with us in our failures, with us in our fears, with us in our doubts, with us in our delights. He is with us. This is a sign of His deity and it's a comfort to know that Jesus is always with us, that He will never leave us or forsake us no matter what the situation. In my experience, I've found that there are those who want salvation, but they don't want to put in the time to be strong disciples of Christ. I call it Jesus Light. You hear me say that all the time, right? Jesus' light. You don't want the real stuff, you just want it light. You basically, another analogy is that you know, many Christians just want to audit the Christian life. An audit is when you go to a class to, to get information, but you, you're not required to do any of the work. You don't have to take the test. You don't have to do any homework. They're, you're only attending for informational purposes. They, you want all the data, but you don't want the responsibility. That's what an audit is. And really, that's what some folks do in our Christian culture. They, they audit Jesus. They keep it light. And when we look at the Scriptures, what we see is that Jesus wants a generation of His followers who are so saturated with His thinking, with His worldview, with His orientation, that when integrated into the culture in which they're situated, the culture will have to live with the influence of Jesus Christ who permeates that culture. And Jesus wants us to finish what he began. He, he came to the disciples. He taught them. He worked with them. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. But before he ascends to heaven, he gave them and us a commission to go into all the world. He's not going to ask you to do the impossible. His call is to make disciples of all nations. And when you think about it, that is something that we can all do. You do it where you are. You do it with those who you meet. With those who you work with. With those who you go to school with. You be a witness for Jesus with your lives. With your actions. When we seek to accomplish God's will, He will bless your efforts because you're seeking to obey Him. And every time you meet, you live out the Great Commission in any form or fashion. Why? Because Jesus is there. He is there always. Even if people, are, are, your discipling aren't responding to you, Jesus is still there. He's still drawing near. Even if you feel unappreciated and unrecognized, know that He still draws near and His promise is sure as the sun rises today. Even if you feel like your expectations for your ministry are are not being met, or maybe you feel simply inadequate in serving, remember He still draws near. I am with you always. And it's in His promise of His presence that we are comforted. So remember that as you serve here at Seoul, let's serve faithfully. Let's serve wholeheartedly. But let's move from beyond those walls and begin to serve the world in which He has placed us. Despite what we could see. God does not exist for us. We exist for God to bring Him glory. And the way that we can bring Him glory is to know His heart. And knowing His heart means realizing that it's always a heart of mission. And so as I finish... What do you need to be reminded of this morning or this afternoon, I guess, by now? And you're probably going, man, this guy's ended early. Yeah, sorry, you're going to hit the buffet lineups when you go out of here today. Be reminded that the presence of Jesus draws near to you at all times. Scripture, hold it to what it says. Perhaps you're struggling, you're wondering if anybody is in control, whether of your life or if God really cares what you do on here. Well, He does. And I think we have to put our trust in His ability to carry you through whatever you find yourself walking through. Maybe we have to actually start praying to ask to have a heart like Jesus, that we could look at the world through His eyes, ask Him to help you live out His heart of mission right now right here what's he calling you to do i have a passion for us to reach this city the thing is we just i can't do it alone and jesus never said we we're supposed to do it alone he said to the 11 go that 11 represents us to go Will you stand with me? Father, again, we just come to you thankful for your son, Jesus. We're thankful for what you did on the cross and for rising from the grave. And so, God, just give us a hunger and a passion to make the name of Jesus known to the lost world around us. Out of our ordinary, everyday lives, you have gathered us here to this time of worship. And what would we do? We bless you. We listen to your word. We immerse ourselves in your grace and in your love. So open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to your presence with us. But I still ask that you take the chaos of the world that has found its way into our hearts, that God, you would speak your word and give order and form to us, your new creation. As we stand before you, take the failures, take the defeat, the guilt, and the shame that binds our spirits. Speak your word into our hearts and set us free. Take our longings for your goodness to shape our lives, for this community, for the hurting world in which we find ourselves. Speak your word and infuse in us your courage, your hope, and your love that we can share with those who you place in our pathway. And we ask in Jesus' name who sends us out to speak love and mercy and grace to those who are waiting, to those who are longing, to those who are hoping for a sign that they are not alone. That You are a God of love, that You are a Savior who knows their name. And so God, I pray that You would draw us close to Yourself as we move out from here. And we pray these in Christ's name. Amen. In ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for a blessing. Those receiving a blessing did likewise. So here it is. Still sanctuary as people of faith who have gathered for worship and now return to the world. May you go out to share the story of faith and life of Jesus with the world around you. Started in speech and in action. And as you go out, may you go, knowing that God goes with you, sharing the laughter and the hope, the fears and the tears. So don't just stand there, people. Go. Go and make disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be blessed. And now, go live the church. See you next week.